So what is regular Joe spirituality? It's spirituality for people who are like me. What's that all about? I'm talking about the folks who don't make a living off of this, or if they do, it's just one of many things that they do. It's where we don't want to necessarily become these gurus or these these people who have run Facebook ads and video and interrupt your YouTube streaming with like five seconds about how they can change your life forever. Often, regular Joes, and again, this applies to any gender, regular Joes are just people who work during the day. They live fairly modestly if they're lucky, they have a small degree of privilege. And they don't want to identify primarily with their spirituality. They want, they basically live it. Regular Joe spiritual people are also not afraid to get mad, to get grouchy, to get, to be afraid sometimes. To present themselves as something other than love and light all the time because regular Joes also live in this world. And this world is troubled, to put it mildly. And sometimes the sane response to troubled times is to cry, is to rage, is to not be all sparkles and unicorn farts. On the other hand, <laughs> regular Joe spirituality means you, you're just not a you're not a malcontent all the time either. You do sense that there's something more. You just want to be able to experience that. That's something more as you, without having to become somebody else or something else. I don't want a mansion. I think I've said this in other recordings. Pretty positive I said it in the one before this. Of course, I could be wrong. I don't want a mansion. If somebody were to give me a mansion, I'm not an idiot, I would take it. But what I do aspire to is a fairly middle-class existence. I think it's a lot of us. We don't really want, we don't need to have the Pacific Palisades. We want, uh, you know, decent, up, you know, suburban, you know, fairly slightly gentrified neighborhoods, right? I mean, we also don't want to be part of that. We want to make sure that the people who were there before can afford to live. Like, there's a social conscience to this regular Joe spirituality as well. I suspect a lot of us look down our noses at the gurus because it all seems to involve a lot of self-aggrandizement. Self, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Self-enrichment at the expense of other people who we'll never meet. So essentially just a microcosm of global capitalism. Petty bourgeoisie type of deal. And I don't want that. I want, you know, uh, just just the middle class dream, but by doing it the way that I want to, without having to become a corporate slave or a wage slave. Uh, regular Joe spiritual people may eat meat. They may not meditate. They may not be in the best physical health. You wouldn't. You're not exactly going to see them on yoga ads, right? And that's okay. I think it, it's important to see they're they're grounded. What we would call salt of the earth people, 
I think. And again, they're open to these new ideas. I want to delve into that skepticism about the mansion. So the big marketing ploy or the dream that personal growth organizations and, and individuals sell you on is that of that super uber wealthy 1% lifestyle. Not necessarily 1% lifestyle either. I mean, if you're making a few million bucks a year, you're living very well. That doesn't make you one of the elite necessarily. Your, your money, I think uh, it was a quote from the TV show Castle. He said, listen, I'm rich and I put my money in banks, but these people own banks. That's the level of wealthy, I think, you know, that's, that's, that may be the problem. But if you're below that, it's okay for you to live well. There's just, just make sure why you're doing it. So I'll give you an example. There's a very beautiful, I remember very uh, upscale restaurant in, in Burlington, Ontario, Canada, where I used to live. It's by the water. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's everything you, you go into, the, you walk into it in the ambiance. It's everything that you see in all those fancy restaurants on TV a lot of the time. And there's a reflection pool just outside. You got a brilliant view of the lake. I'm pretty sure in the adjoining atrium, they perform wedding ceremonies now. Or at least they did before COVID. I don't know what they're doing right now. At the time, I was working for the as a, as a phone concierge for a very big American credit card. Put it this way, you just, you don't leave home without it. <laughs> We were serving the second and first tier charge card customers. These are the uber wealthy. Some of the cards may or may not be platinum. They may or may not be black in color. And uh, you may or may not, uh, you know, some of these clients may or may not be, you know, just CEOs and celebrities and influencers and politicians. So we were on the phone and part of a phone, a virtual concierge, if you've never heard of the concept, is that we, we arranged the restaurant reservations at the top restaurants in the, the biggest cities in the world. We create destination information and then connect them over to the travel division to book their flights and tours and packages. We do flowers and gifts for special occasions. We find the tickets to the top shows uh, and they get the first dibs most of the time on the on sales. All the great things in life that if you're wealthy, you get to enjoy. So it was a remarkable thing to go through five weeks of training at this organization, which I still love, by the way. I, I it, it has changed since I was there. It began to change when I was there. This is what happens when accountants take over your, a very qualitative organization. Now it's apparently a it's kind of a fascist enterprise <laughs> from what I've heard. But back then, when I was there, we were exposed to the great things in life and what was possible. And then I got to go home from my $14 an hour job to my apartment, where half the time I had trouble paying rent. So that restaurant that I mentioned before was on one of our lists. Uh, the program Open Table, uh, it, which I haven't used in a long time, but essentially it's a reservation program that restaurants would use. And if you booked it, you got points. And if you accumulated enough points, they would send you an open table check to basically give you a discount at one of these nicer restaurants. And I remember looking at that waterfront restaurant in Burlington and thinking, 
man, I can't wait to go. Now, at the time, I was with my ex-wife, and that was the summer, I believe, we were beginning to have many problems. We'd been together for nine years prior to this, gotten married in our ninth year, and we had had ninth year, tenth year, I don't know. We got married uh, <laughs> uh, basically after living together for a long time, un in, in, you know, unmarried, and uh, we were having problems, but I wanted to take her somewhere nice, and I happened to get one of those checks, and so we ended up going to the restaurant. But we chose to go in the middle of summer, the high season. I wanted a place on the patio with a view of the water. I wanted to have some fun. And what did you know? Uh, it was booked. Like, solid. They were fully committed. They found us a table, but it was so far back from the window on the patio that we couldn't see the lake. So it was like just looking at sky. The food itself which I've some, since come to understand is very, uh, it's not a surprise, was decent. The dishes that you paid this price for were not necessarily at the time the best tasting, the best presented. And so, and I was miserable, and, and she and I were miserable and we were sniping at each other the entire time. And I was unhappy. In fact, I remember just my unhappiness may have ruined it. I think she was trying in earnest to to have a good time, but I was not that was not a good time in my life. It wasn't a good time in hers either. And so the experience wasn't what we thought it was. And I have a suspicion that this is what getting the mansion would be like. Think about actually owning a mansion for a second. You would need cleaning staff. And then you're responsible for their health and safety, I would assume. Your hydro bill is going to be, your electricity bill rather, is going to be you know, off the charts depending on what you're doing. Dust collecting everywhere, again, hence needing a cleaning crew. Food preparation. Do you have a butler? They're expensive too. Maybe you just want the house to yourself and then cook to yourself. Okay, great. Then... Maybe you have a nice kitchen. Actually, that's the one good thing about a mansion I could think of. It's like the kitchens I've seen are just beautiful. I can make, I can cook meals for 20 people if I wanted to. So they're not bad. Do I need them? No. Would I accept one if I had one? Yes. But my suspicion is this, right? There would be a lot of challenges associated with having the lifestyle that's idealized by these self-help people that may make it not what you expect. It's just this, and I know this isn't to kind of diminish, you know, to be a problem and to only see things through this through the filter of problems. You know, more money, more problems. <laughs> you know, this isn't just to say that. It's just, does it really make you happy? You know, does it really fulfill that deep need, or is there the distinct possibility that once you have this mansion, you're going to start dreaming about the next one? See, Tony Robbins who uh, I do look, you know, I do, he's one of the people I follow. I don't believe in following one guru. That's how you get this culty reputation thing that um, I think I, I think I said I'd talk about in this episode, but I'm going to talk about in another one. Uh, he had, uh, he'd had a video with two internet entrepreneurs where he talked about 
he'd already been living in a beautiful place that he dreamed about. And when he went to somebody else's mansion that was bigger than his and nicer than his with a better view than his, he came back and felt like he was living in a tenement. His standard has changed in a single visit. Now, this is a phenomenon that does happen, right? You do you do have certain experiences, the, and then you just can't go back to how you were. The most notable example I could think of is Sidney Poitier. You know, one of my fellow Caribbean <laughs> people came to, uh, you know, in, from the Bahamas originally. I think he was on Cat Island, which at the time had zero electricity and no vehicle. So everything was done super 19th century style. And he lived there and having to put up with hurricanes and, 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 you know, basically just makeshift shelters and eating whatever you could grow and kill yourself and um, harvesting the salt from the, from the tidal pools to sell and all these experiences. When, when, when Poitiers became a Hollywood star, he found himself staying in luxurious hotels for all the movie premieres. And when his career began to wane as he grew older and time went on, he found that he didn't have the same amount of money that he had. And so he wrote in his biography, which is a wonderful book everyone should read. Uh, he, he said that uh, going, into a going into a motel after years of, of getting to stay in five-star hotels is very uncomfortable it's your standards have changed completely and you see this is one of the things in the self-help industry that lends credence to the to the notion to the critics assertion that this is a that the industry is kind of a con job because if the goal is for you to achieve fulfillment and happiness then theoretically you should only need to buy one book go to one seminar but that's not how it works, because that's not how your brain works. Sean Acor, uh, he's a professor. I forget what he called it. I forget what his title is, but he has a TED talk about the about happiness. And he had, he had done he conducted studies of students who had gone to an elite university, lots of prestige. It took a lot to get there. They had to be brilliant, high you know top grades, all of that, in order to get in. He talked about how, I think it was Harvard, actually. Maybe it was Harvard. Uh, when they got into Harvard, he did a study of the students and, you know, qualitative of the first couple of weeks. And for the first few weeks, they were very happy to have made this achievement. They considered themselves lucky. They were satisfied. By week three, all of the academic work that they suddenly had to do caught up with them. And they were no more happy than anyone else who was in any other university. Because the brain, once you achieve a goal and you get that dopamine hit of achieving the goal, that only lasts so long and then you want the next one. But you've already kind of achieved this thing. So achieving something in the same class isn't going to do it for you anymore. Now you want more. So that means you're, you're always, to use Acres' words, you're always just moving the goalposts of what happiness is. And... That's the thing with self-help. Now, some things you do need to do regularly, like bathing and brushing your teeth and shaving. And maybe motivation is one of them. I think there's a good case to be made for that. So maybe that's one redeeming factor of the self-help industry. 
but in terms of regular Joe spirituality, I think it is a matter of just finding deep contentment as you are without having to aspire to these mansions and restaurants. <laughs> anyway, I'm still at the beginning of this inquiry. I don't have the complete answer, and that's another aspect of regular Joe spirituality. You really don't know. I think it's eclectic. I think many of us are seeking out different teachers and not necessarily spiritual ones either to basically make sense of this life and to find something that gives us at least a measure of not just happiness, but connection and satisfaction. So that's it for this inquiry. What I plan to do for the next few episodes, at least, is continue the kind of, this kind of monologue. My intention is to turn this into a book, so it could entirely be that by the time you're listening to this, you've already picked up that book. My aim is to make it as evergreen as possible, though it is worth noting that I am recording this uh, in the midst of, well, the, what I hope to be the tail end of the first wave of COVID-19 and amid massive rioting happening in the United States and around the world in response to police brutality against black people. I guess the last thing I would say is that we, we this is the world we live in. And if you're just a regular person, you don't want to ignore the issues. You want to be part of a healing, but that entails not sticking your head in the sand either and pretending all this is okay while you meditate and burn incense. So this is where we are. So for the next few episodes, <clears throat> you will get more episodes like, like more talks like these, just whatever topics come to mind. In addition, I hope to have a few guests who are looking to, who would interview with me uh, on different topics. I'm, I've got a few people in mind. I'll be reaching out to them this week. If you are one of those people, uh, you can send me an email at jodyjodyaberdeen.com. And let me know what you'd like to talk about. You could, in terms of this, right, you could really be just, you could be, this is the thing, it could be anybody. You could be somebody who's looking for answers and you want to share your search with me. You can be a coach or a professional in the personal growth industry and you want to share some of your perspectives. If you, if, But only if you vibe with this whole thing, right? Because I'm going to ask you some really, some real questions. And uh, which is to say, Questions that an ordinary person who may be a little skeptical about all this would ask you. And yes, any topics that come to mind, if you have any ideas, again, send me an email, jody, jodyaberdeen.com. So thanks for listening. Wherever you are, be safe, be well, and until next time. <laughs>